When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on Performance Anxiety, we feature songwriter and composer Gabby Alter of Yes Gabriel. Musical theater is explained. Video game music is discussed, and the Heartbreak Kid writes an EP. Follow Gabby at Gabby Alter on Instagram. Buy Yes Gabriel wherever you purchase music, including GabbyAlter.com. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check out our shop at performanceanx.threadless.com and buy things. It does help the show survive. Enjoy Gabby Alter and Yes Gabriel. Hi, this is Gabby Alter from Yes Gabriel. We have our EP, Yes Gabriel, the self titled EP, coming out April 19th. And you're listening to Performance Anxiety. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. I, I really do thank you for coming on tonight. This is great. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I'm completely honest with you right now. I don't know uh-huh. much about theater, so this will be a learning experience for me. Okay. So. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, now, yeah, I mean, that's okay. Also, you know, I mean, my album is not a theater album. It's a exactly. It's like a singer song. Okay, sweet. And there's no real formal way I start in. We just start talking, and at some point I just okay. I'm already. I mean, because I'm already recording. So, uh, okay. At some point I'll just decide. Hey, that's where that's where the show starts, <laughs> and we'll go right. there. Okay. okay. So, all right. So, uh, okay. so your background is mostly theater, then. Yeah, although it's it's kind of an odd, like, so I started doing rock musicals with friends of mine in the Bay Area in Berkeley. Uh, back in 1992. Okay. Uh, no, sorry, 93. And, you know, the whole idea was that I had very little, I didn't have a background in musicals particularly. I had done a little theater growing up, but um, but I was in a band in high school, and my friend Dominic Ma asked me to write a rock musical with him, and I had no idea what he meant. Um, <laughs> but he came over. I was like, okay, whatever you say. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, exactly. I was like, you know, we were at a pizzeria that night and uh, there was a theater, a little underground theater underneath. the. There still is, I think, um, under this pizzeria in Berkeley called Laval's. And he was like, do you want to you want to write a a rock musical? And I was like, yeah. And I honestly didn't think that anything would happen because I just thought, you know, I like you, man. You want to do something? Sure. So but he was very uh, methodical and he came over the next morning with some lyrics half written and. We actually wrote maybe a song that day. And, you know, he's like a guy who when he wants to get stuff done, he does. And and we basically got our friends together. We had graduated or I graduated the previous year and he had just graduated. So 
we got together our friends from like the drama and the lit, you know, crowds. We were kind of like the, the artsy kids and we, we put on a musical and it was super fun. And, you know, our friends are very funny, talented actors. Okay. And I, felt, you know, and I was really into it. I was like, this is cool because it's like, I'm in a band, but you know, without the commitment of being in a band. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the musical about? Um, the music was actually weirdly kind of prescient. Uh, it was called Queen Zone, the virtual revolution. And it was about, it was basically the plot of the matrix, but like we did it in 93. Oh, wow. It was like, it's like everyone's hooked into a virtual world and there's this queen who controls everyone. Oh, wow. And then this guy, this guy time, well, then there's a different thing was this guy time travels from the year 1993 to whatever that year was like 2000 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, well, I was looking at and, some of the stuff you've done, and I mean, you, you seem to have a, a great sense of humor about the stuff that you write, yeah. and I, I love it. You've got um, one musical, Band Geeks, Young Zombies in yeah. Love, and my favorite, which I've got to find this, Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, a romantic comedy. boring in my situation. Oh, okay, well... I that- mean, you see, I'm not even really a country. I'm like more of the seeds of a concept of a country, so... Oh, well, in that case, the thing You with- see, for centuries, my people have lived in exile, traveling from land to land, calling places their home, but never having a place to call their own. Persecuted, driven, and wiped out until now. There's only a handful of us left. That sucks. Mm. What are those? Oh, um, they're convention giveaways. Free pens. Uh, they have our logo on them. Right. Free swag is really the only way to get attention for your country. Yeah, you know, we were going to do squeezable falafel balls, mm. but we don't have the budget for it mm. uh, or a government yet, mm. so... China's giving away children. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that one's pretty funny. Um, do you know, uh, there's another person, actually, my friend Nagin Farsad does a podcast called Fake the Nation. Okay. I don't know if you listen to political podcasts, but anyway, she does a very funny podcast called Fake the Nation, and she has, like, John Hodgman and Paul F. Tompkins and, like, these different comedians on, as well as political commentators from, you know, various outlets and so but anyway but she's always been like a politically minded stand-up comedian she's iranian american and and has a political science degree but is also like a filthy mouthed comedian (laughs) Uh, and uh, so she um yeah she did she asked me to do that to write the music for that with her uh a long you know a long time ago like in the 2000s and we did it for a few years and she took it to the fringe festival in edinburgh and then uh, and then, yeah, it didn't end up coming back to New York. We did it in New York a couple of times, but it didn't end up getting picked up. But it's really funny. Oh, I would love to see I mean, Just the name alone intrigues me. I've got to I, I would love to watch it now. I'm not a big theater guy. I don't know much about theater. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I my kids love it. They, yeah, they, okay. They've they're in band. They've done theater. And, and, and so my most of my theater experience is one show on Broadway. I went to go see one show on Broadway. And um yeah. Basically, what was the show? Uh, it was Phantom of the Opera. It was like in '88. So, okay. So it was it was a while ago, but uh, it was a great experience. I mean, it was an amazing performance. But I've just never had a chance to go back. Uh, I least I lived like an hour out of I lived like right in the middle of New Jersey, an hour out of New York, and an hour out of Philly. So mm-hmm. it was easy to go in, but 
you know, I was a broke kid at the time. I couldn't, I could never afford theater tickets. And so uh, one day I got the chance, uh, my dad called me up and uh, his former employer got up with him and wanted to, everybody to get together because uh, we were little kids when we kind of grew up in the, this company. And they're like, you know, I kind of want to treat you guys. So let's everybody go to New York. And he put us up in the in, in a nice hotel and took us to a, see Phantom of the Opera and a nice dinner afterwards. And so uh-huh. it's a great experience. It's the only the only uh, one I've seen. It's it's great memories, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. it's the only one I got a chance to see. But um, <laughs> how difficult is it to get something picked up, like any of the musicals that you've written? Uh, unbelievably difficult. Um, I mean, I think it probably varies in degree for depending on who you are, but most of the people I know, self-included, it's a really, really difficult process. Um, what is the process like? I mean, what do you have to do? Well, it, it varies. I mean, describe it like, for instance, the, uh, band geeks was a show that like, here's an example, like I went to NYU for musical theater writing in the mid two thousands. And so, um, there were three of us at that program that were going to write a musical together after it was done. And because of the program, we had a relationship with this, this theater called Goodspeed, which is in Connecticut. And it was the place where Annie originated in the seventies. Oh, wow. So like, you know, so they sort of like supported by Annie money, probably, um, <laughs> still, you know what I mean? Annie wow. is still making money. Um, and they probably have a piece of it. So, yeah. So, and they're a cool place and they do do mu- new musicals still, you know, in that kind of tradition of we did Annie, you know, we, and, um, so we had a relationship with the people there and they, we pitched them the idea of doing a marching band musical and they were very into it. And they didn't say we're going to do it, but they said, you know, we'll help you. Like they, they invited us to come to good speed and work on it a few, for a few weekends. They put us in a new, a festival of new musicals that they run every year. Then at some point after that, they, um, well, actually I think at the end of that festival, they said, we, we do want to produce it. So that's one way, right? When a regional theater commits to doing your musical, and we and that happened because of our relationship with them through the program that they liked what we had done so far in the program they were interested in working with us but that wasn't a guarantee then we pitched them an idea they liked and they still didn't commit but once we finally showed them what you know of draft of it and they saw it on its feet they really liked it and felt like it would work for their audiences and they so then a year or a year and a half later we did it at good speed um, and at that point, I mean, it, you, it was picked up right for that moment okay. by them. They were hoping to get Broadway producers to come and then pick it up and move it to New York. But uh, when they did that, they, they invited a group of people that they had, con- you know, contacts. And all of those people were like, yeah, this is not a show that would work in New York on Broadway. We're not interested. It was it was a really it is a really fun show. And it's been done at a lot of high schools in America yeah. uh, and a little bit. I think in Australia there's been one production, but, but basically it's like that, you know, it got stopped. That was the stage at which it got stopped. You, at at some stage you have to get a producer involved, right? Just like any, any commercial endeavor. And, um, 
somebody that's going to raise the money. And if producers, so you have to have a producer that believes in it. And usually there's different ways that musicals start. You know, sometimes it starts, a musical idea will start with a producer. Like my friend Itamar had a show that he got hired onto because the producer had rights to this show called, to this movie called The Band's Visit. And The Band's Visit is an Israeli film made in, I, don't know, I forget when, maybe 2007 or something. And the guy who produced it was like, I think this is a good idea for a musical. So then he hired David Yazbek, who's uh, this very accomplished musical theater songwriter. Um, and then he hired Itamar. And then they did they did um, like a first production in New York at the Atlantic Theater. And it got great reviews and then transferred to Broadway soon thereafter. So if something starts with a producer, it, it, I mean, it's not necessarily guaranteed to go to Broadway, but you have at least eliminated that first step of who's going to raise the money. So it's like a little um, head start. If, yeah, exactly. But it, it, you could think of it a lot like, in fact, having a startup. I don't know if you're in that world of startup yeah. uh, tech companies, but you know, it's like you're looking for VC funding. You're looking for for money from these, what are the venture capitalists? Venture capitalists and, yeah. Yeah. So it's parallel to that. You know, it's like, you're, you're like, you want to develop the product or really it's a piece of art, but you know, but, uh, to the point where somebody sees it and is like, I think that's going to be worth raising millions of dollars to try and get it to Broadway, you know, which, which is hard. That's a lot of money. And I totally understand why it doesn't happen very frequently, but anyway, that's, and then once they make it, they stay there forever. Well, or they don't, you know what I mean? Like most <laughs> Most musicals tap out after like not that long and uh, they don't make back their money, but they make it back later when they're touring and through licensing. Um, yeah, but most, most Broadway musicals do not recoup. So so you've got, so you're saying most of them will flame out and, but then there's a couple that that just stay there forever, like cats and phantom. Yeah. Once when you have a hit, a certain type of hit, it stays around what seems like forever. Um, the artier, I think, those are great musicals too. There are, there's an artier set of musicals like the band's visit, which won the Tony last year. And, um, what was the other one? Uh, fun home is a great musical. If you ever get a chance, go see fun home. And, but those musicals lasted about two to three years. Uh, I think they probably both recouped, but they didn't make a fortune like phantom, you know, is like a, it's like an ATM. Yeah. Cause it's there. Yeah. It's like um, a, a franchise. It's like a business unto itself. It's just, Exactly. It's a business into itself. And you do like, if you're lucky, you know, like I don't, if you've heard of Avenue Q, like that was a show that ran forever, okay. but not literally forever for about for like 14 years. So like wow. those guys are rich, but yeah, the guys, and they, you know, but, but, and so there are a bunch of those shows that like, like that, but then there's a bunch that come and maybe they last less than a year or they last two to three years. If you can get to the two or three year mark and you probably recruit at that point, it's sort of like you're good, you know what I mean? Like you're gonna make some something from that for a long time. So it's it's kind of like 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 TV, you know, you, the first two to three seasons you're still in the red, and once you hit that third, yeah. you're you're basically in the black and in syndication, yeah. and and you're making money hand over fist. Exactly, and and you know, and it's exactly. I think the band's visit, though. Look, I don't know a lot about economics of Broadway, but for some reason, because I know Edenmar, he was like, oh yeah, they. 
I think they recouped pretty fast. And, I, and maybe that was because it wasn't that expensive a production. I just, I don't know why, you know, like rent was not an expensive production. It okay. did for whatever reason. Uh, it was, I think it's like, you can just do it with like phantom has these giant ass set pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have a giant ass set piece, you probably don't have to spend an extra, you know, hundred thousand dollars a week. And then you don't have to sell as many tickets. But it, anyway, it's in, yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I mean, I know it's like I know a bunch of people who've had Broadway shows. It would be interesting to sit them all down and be like, so what? Did, you know, like how much money did you make? I don't. I mean, most of them aren't rich because they didn't have those kind of giant hits, but they probably did good. Probably did okay. You know, like yeah, it's like any, do that. anytime you can make money off art, it's pretty impressive. I think. Yeah, that that <laughs> is hard to true. Do. That is true. Maybe we should do that. One of these days, yeah. we could just get like a Broadway roundtable show going and just fire away questions. And I can uh, yeah hit up the audience, uh, send me some questions, and we'll we'll just fire away rapid fire and get some answers. Yeah, I know, I know. It's <laughs> it's a great. It's very curious. I mean, music is the same, right? I mean, music, popular music, is the same way. Like, it's sort of curious. I'm curious how people make money now. I mean, yeah. my so D- Damien, my friend who wrote Young Zombies in Love, he's this rapper called MC Frontalot. Um, I was going to ask and, you about this. Yeah, he's a nerdcore rapper. You know, and he makes a living. He's been doing that for like, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, he, gets, he goes to a lot of conventions, and he has a very loyal fan base. I think the fan base really helps him. Okay. So, and he's, he's really good at what he does. You're not just writing – musicals you're actually writing other music like uh, uh you've written for pbs uh mtv yeah you've done uh the theme for npr's radio show backstory with the american history yeah. guys and you even write for video games yes so, well i've done all of those things at one point or another so how do you <laughs> so how right, i, I want to know how do you get the video game gig how did that happen uh that happened actually um i'm I'm trying to get better at hustling, but I'm, (laughs) I'm not that good of a hustler. Um, but let's just say I'm trying, yeah, I'm improving my hustling, but actually that one, yeah, it it was through Damien again, through MC front a lot. He had a friend, he has a friend named Zach Johnson who has an online game called kingdom of loathing. And, uh, it's a really cool, it's like an RPG game that makes fun of RPG games. Like it's kind of like dungeons and dragons with stick figures. It's really funny and witty. (laughs) And he runs this with this guy, Kevin Johnson, I think. I'm pretty sure. Sorry, Kevin, if I forgot your last name. But anyway, they, this thing is still, I think, runs pretty well. And they, they did a sequel where it was in the Wild West. It sold really well. But anyway, between those two games, they made another game called Word, Word Realms. And I think Zach, I had become friends with Zach just through Damien, and we were just kind of hanging out. And I think he needed somebody to write music for that, for Word Realms. So I said, yeah, I can do that. And I basically learned how to do it by doing it. You know, I, I had not done that kind of stuff before, but um, I was like, okay, so I have to create loops, you know, things that can just continue in the background okay. and, and start over. And, and then for different levels, they have to have different types of, I mean, I started writing like this kind of like battle style music and I had never done that with violins and it was just totally, oh, wow. but it was fun. You know, I like imitating different kinds of music and seeing, sort of taking them apart, seeing how it works from the inside. So 
that's kind of what that whole project was like. Can I imitate a bunch of different things and then make them seem like the right thing for this video game? And unfortunately, it didn't do that well. I, I don't know why. It was a really fun game, but now, there you go. Did you have to play the game to, to kind of get the feel of the music that they wanted for it? I did, yeah. I played the different levels. It was basically like a game. It was like scra- Battle Scrabble. Like you had like seven letters and you had to like come up with as many words with, with as high a score in order to inflict damage on the opponent <laughs> oh, that's in real cool. time. I, yeah, it's a good game. You look it up. I will. My, oh, my kids would love that. They, but we play, they play Scrabble yeah. all the time. Words with friends. That we're playing that all the time. Yeah, it's really fun, and um, it, it and the, the the whole idea behind the game is very creative. There's a whole world, and the levels are different, and they have there's a lot of humor in it, like in the other games that Zach and Kevin did. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it really, but it, it did it didn't do so well in the market, but it's a really fun game. Well, I'm I'm gonna hunt it down. I want to find out more about it because it does yeah. sound like fun. You transitioned, or uh, I guess maybe transition isn't the right word, but You've been writing musicals, and you've written your own EP of, of original music uh, as uh, a, a solo release for yourself. Um, it's called Yes yeah, Gabriel. Yeah. Um, yes, Yes Gabriel, which is which is the name of the band, kind of. Like I'm not I'm not releasing <laughs> this as Gabi Alter. I'm releasing this because Gabi Alter is my what I've written musicals under, and I wanted this to be like my indie something project. Is there any significance indie to the project. name? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give it away, oh, but that's fine. just, I mean, my name is Gabriel, uh, and that's my full name. It's, or, you know, Gabby is a, is a nickname. And, uh, I did, I like the idea of having, like for a while I was thinking I would figure out a different name, you know, like mm-hmm. some, you know, something Gabriel or, and I, I like the sound of yes, Gabriel. There's, there's something else behind it, but I, I just kind of like it. It's a little bit curious, um, and it's it positive. Is. I like positive, which is it, that's yeah. cheesy, but I like that. Well, it's true. It, it's true, it, and it, it's uh, the songs are great. Uh, oh, what, thank you. What spurred the, uh, the 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 need to write your uh, music for a, a release that wasn't musical theater? Well, so here's the thing. So I guess I should back up. When I was asked to write musicals by Dominic in my whatever, I was like 19, and then we did a bunch of those in my 20s, um, you know, I always was really drawing from pop music, and I always fantasized. I I tried to start a band, or I didn't really start a band, but I was like fantasized about doing music that was pop music because that was what I was drawing from, not so much musical theater. Um, And then I got to New York. I... I really got a little more into traditional musical theater and trying to write, you know, for a character in a moment okay. as opposed to like just a song that, um, you know what I mean? That could happen at any time or that's just an expression of a, a feeling. Right. Uh, and part of that was a lot of that was my NYU training, uh, to be honest. But, but then when I, so then I still had this idea, like I want to just make something where you don't have to perform it with people it can just be something you listen to because honestly, when I was growing up, what I loved even more than live music, it was like the recorded music was what was the prime, the piece of art I was drawn to, right? Like I was drawn to listening to the Beatles albums and how they recorded them. Like, like a lot of people listening to Prince and like what purple rain sounds like the album and, and how different and, and the arrangements and the textures and all that stuff. 
And I think that really drew my mind in. And I had not gotten to work on that part of music in theater because theater is really about the performance and the story. Um, and so I, so I always had that in the back of my head. Then uh, I had this breakup and it was, I was the one who did the breaking up, but it was one of those things where I was really, I was conflicted about it and, okay. and I missed the person and this went on for a long time. You know, they, they moved on. That broke my heart. It's like a typical thing that happens to people and maybe yeah. especially to dudes. Yeah. Cause we're like, Oh, there's somebody else out there. It's like, Oh no, I really missed this person. Yeah. But yeah, but so I was, uh, you know, I was pretty in love with this person. And I, I think in order to sort through that, I started finally writing songs about myself that were trying to, I don't know, sort of like talk through something to her in her absence, which is what, you know, I guess what everybody does. But, um, but yeah, but then, but then what happened was I, you know, it felt important because the feelings didn't go away for a long time. And so I, I felt like I had to, it's like I wanted to memorialize what happened. And, but then I got really into trying to record an album that I really, you know, that would just stand on its own merits sonically. Okay. And you ended and I, up playing most of the instruments on the EP, right? Yeah. And that wasn't what I intended. I, I mean, first of all, I intended to go into a studio. I intended to get other people to re play instruments, maybe a band. And but what happened was, as I wrote these songs, I was like, I tried to get other people to play them. I tried to get a friend of mine to play the guitar part on Dear to Me. And... Close your face next to mine. Your breath was warm, smelled like smoke and wine. Battery park, building made of glass. You rode up in the elevator. So and then I tried to play it, and we just couldn't do it. But finally, eventually, I realized, yeah, no, I'm going to have to figure out how to play it. Okay. And I did after a lot of difficulty because I'm not <laughs> primarily a guitar player. Uh, <laughs> It just was like this realization that in my other projects, particularly in, in theater, I had always been working in collaboration with people. And so I could, you know, draw on their ideas or their really get them to play instruments for me. And this time it was like, no, I think in order to express this idea or this feeling, it's going to be better if I just figure almost all of it out by myself, which is not entirely true because my friend Sean played guitars on fall asleep and he, he pretty much figured out that arrangement. So, but, <laughs> but, but it's still, but even then I, I used that as the core and I like built around it. So I just ended up, yeah, I sort of was like, I guess I have to do this. It's sort of my, my solo statement. Well, the songs, yeah. the songs are crafted. They're not, they don't seem to be like, like a bunch of guys sitting in a room jamming. It's, it's the, they were built right. and I, you can definitely feel Thank your you. background for, Oh, my, my pleasure. You can definitely hear your background in musical theater in the songs because of the way they're actually crafted. And it, you can tell that it's not just um, this song grew out of me just hanging out, jamming with uh, two or three other guys. And this section was pretty cool. So we decided to play that for eight hours and to make it a right. song somehow. It's actually built. It's you said it best. Uh, it, it's a character in a moment. And I definitely get that feeling with each of these songs. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think ultimately what happened is that 
when I was at NYU, I was trained in that way you, to use specific detail, which is, you know, it's like the same way that most people are probably trained to write short stories or novels. Okay. Like in order to make something vivid for a reader, um, you want to, you want to create a detail, right? It's not just like a face. It's like, you know, a face with a mole under the eye or, you know, um, you know, half shaven. Like, it's just like, like you have to give people concrete details for the, the listener to be able to fill in, to see something as real. And uh, I think, and then also I had this training about like a character singing in a moment. So I, I did write a couple of songs at NYU that were sort of almost pop songs. Okay. Um, they weren't, I don't know how to say it. Like one of them, what is actually on the album, it's called deep in February. Oh, um, that's my last favorite off the EP. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so that song I wrote, like, it was an assignment to write a song about February, and there was another woman that I was totally heartbroken about at the time. Because oh, I was I was doing a string of heartbreaks for myself. From <laughs> <laughs> the age of that was my thing for yeah. like super long time. That's what I'm known <laughs> for. <laughs> that's right. I'm the heartbreak kid. Yeah. But yeah, no, I really was the heartbreak kid, but I was so broken. I well, it was this woman that we were I was in love with her. I don't know if she was in love with me, but she was she moved back to Canada and we were having these fights, but I was super in love with her anyway. It didn't matter. And so I wrote this song based on that for the assignment. Um, but you can hear like a lot of that song. I was kind of a lucky break in a way. I wrote it in a few hours, but it, it's almost like a crossword puzzle song. It's all made up of specific details, right? All of it is like details you can visualize and it's all written in a specific meter. Um, and that was kind of what the, 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 the class called for was to be really rigid, uh, very disciplined about your, 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 you know, your meter that oh. the meter matched of every line. So anyway, so I did that song in a few hours and then, you know, and I was heartbroken at the time. So that kind of worked out. But I think that training, again, it sort of brought like the storytelling and the specific detail is what carried over into the other songs, which I didn't mean to do that. But I think when I was writing about like Dear to Me originally was a different it had a different verse and the verses were just a bunch of metaphors. And whenever I play for people, they'd be like, that's cool. That's cool. But then I started I did one verse. I changed it so that the first verse was about the, a train, right? And like the night I met you, I boarded a subway train, 20 minutes ride to the place where you were staying, which is what happened when I met my ex-girlfriend. And, and that, my friend, who's another songwriter, Ken Flagg, was like, that's more interesting to me than the other verses. Why don't you make the whole thing a song that's a story? And I was like, oh, so it seems like that's kind of what I can do better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Uh, and, and I think, I don't know. Anyway, so that's sort of how it happened is that I was like, okay, so I can structure this song like a little story about our relationship and as opposed to a bunch of images that people don't seem to connect to. And, right. uh, and I think that makes it less, less, it's the, the, um, the specific is the universal. Like when you make something specific, that's when people can relate to it. Okay. Um, it's, it's again, it's, this is like a writer's thing. Um, and I think it works. It's the concrete detail. Like, oh yeah, I, I relate to that detail, even though this didn't happen to me, 
I know what that feels like. You know, I know mm-hmm. what it feels like when the, you know, there's a glove on the train track. It just, you can see it. Yeah. I don't know. So that's, that's kind of how the album evolved. Although rains of April, which is the last song I wrote for it. That one is not as much of a story song. It's more just a bunch of images, but it is still a bunch of images. It like concrete images. So I, but I, I moved away from the like linear format, linear storytelling format in that, I think. So is yeah. it, was it difficult to write these songs with them being so personal to you? Yeah. I mean, I think they were difficult. Well, especially knowing that you're going to release it to the public. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think it's good to have a really strong motivator to write something and to share something, you know, to share what's true for you. And, uh, so in a way I made this album mostly to this one person. Um, and that was a good impetus. I think it was hard because I really wanted to do it right. Like, I think it was almost like the writing the songs was, um, more, you know, some of them came out, well, dear to me was really hard to write. It took me like a few years because I kept changing the lyrics and the idea of, you know, switching from metaphors to a story Right. that took a long time, but fall asleep. I wrote very quickly and rains of April took a long time. Dear to me took a long time. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess it did. It was hard because I really wanted to get it right. So I ended up going through a lot of versions of the songs. Okay. Is that why, yeah. And and is that why you, you kept it in an EP and not kept going to a full length? Yeah, I think I had kind of burnt out in a way or like gotten exhausted. Well, gotten exhausted with doing this project by myself. And, you know, there were there were probably another three songs or four songs I could have added and made it a full album. But I knew those were going to probably take a long, even longer. And it would already been like six years. And I was oh, like, wow. I, th- I think I need to wrap this up now. You know, like this is yeah, I just have need to move on to whatever is next. So. So is there a full length maybe in the future for you? Maybe, although I probably don't, I don't think I would do it the same way. I just, um, probably I would want to involve more people in collaboration the way I usually do. And I, I have a band now and I mean, we, you know, it's like we have live versions of some new songs and, but I, I think the thing is though, that it's like, what I realized is like, yeah, like everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of the people I really love, like they're like Paul Simon on Graceland, for instance, or, or Mike, you know, well, no one wants to talk about Michael Jackson right now, but you know, (laughs) laying aside him, his behavior, like his, his work with Quincy Jones or, and I'm not saying like I'm anywhere near approaching these guys, but just like the way they, they would do these things is, uh, and the Beatles, you know, that they, they had a lot of versions often of the songs and they would figure out which was the best version. They had, they had the studio time and the money. So I didn't have studio time, but I had time and I was able to, you know, like to give you an example, what's a good example of this? Um, so it rains of April was like originally a piano song. And then I was like, I don't know. Oh no, you got through. Okay. That's a good example. You got through was a song that I, I first wrote in like a long time ago. And I did this kind of upbeat 
poppy version of it. Okay. okay. And it wasn't actually that good. I've listened to that version recently. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds like a really like, it sounds like an eighties workout song. <laughs> and I should, I should play it for you. It really does. It sounds like it's really, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's, it's a good song, I guess, but it's like the wrong, whatever to like really tease out what's in the lyrics. Okay. And then, okay. So then a few years later I was like, okay, I started doing a new version cause I wasn't happy with that. And it was like an kind of an electro pop version and it was better, but it did not fit with the rest of this album because the album was more of an acoustic kind of intimate thing. Right. And this song was very like, it was like, had a little, almost like dubstep and it was very, it was just kind of like oh, wow. dance mix. Um, <laughs> and I liked it better than the first version, but you know, whenever I, I was like, just inside, I was like, this can't really fit with these. Like, I want this thing to be like a suite of songs. I don't want it to be a hodgepodge. Right, so, right. right. So then I was playing it and I was talking, maybe I was even talking about how I want to do a new version. I was talking to my friend, Ben Bayless, who's a really accomplished musician and engineer. And he was like, slow it down to 120 beats per minute. So I did. And he's like, take it down like a major third. I'd been singing D flat. So then I moved it to A and I was like, somehow that direction was what created, I think that song maybe is the most successful on the album in terms of like, it's incredibly intimate. Um, and I think that slowing it down and dropping the key so that it was in a lower part of my voice, it creates this intimacy of like, you're just talking to somebody. It's like, you're alone in a room with them. And I kind of built the song around that concept, um, which took, a while. I think it took a few months, but you know what I mean? Like that was turned out to be the right concept for the song. Now, if I was in a band and I was under contract to Warner brothers or something, that whole process might've taken like, you know, we did those three versions in three months or whatever. Right, yeah. But, but in this case it was like, nobody was asking me for these songs. So it took me like three years because yeah. <laughs> um, I need deadlines, but I didn't have any. So. I know the feeling I make my own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. So anyway, so that's, that's kind of what I mean. It's just like, like, and I think the Beatles, you know, I'm trying to think of examples, but I think I've heard stuff where you're like, oh, like I've heard like Paul Simon do like demos from Graceland and you're like, oh, that's pretty close to what he had at the end. But like, that wasn't as cool. You know what I mean? Right. Like he, he didn't have the cool ass like horn part yet. He was doing a, like a scat version. Maybe that's because he was just waiting for the horn section to come in. But, you know, you can hear like that there's an evolution in the concept of the song. And I and I feel like that's what I learned. It's like, oh, when you're doing a, a studio album, at least what you're talking about, you know, and I, I appreciate the compliment that it's sort of like everything is like really thought out. And it's like that is that's what I liked, you know, when yeah. I was one of the things I loved. I think even like a group like Public Enemy apparently had a different process. But as a group, they would sort of jam using turntables and instruments and rap and but oh, then wow. they 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 worked out their entire like the whole arrangement got worked out before they set foot in a studio because they were very conscious of studio time and money so they okay. just they they evolved the jam and this is i think a lot of groups do is they they basically evolved the arrangement through jamming but then they set the arrangement so then they had it when they were going in but you know you have to assume that there were like versions before yeah where they you know, and, but then they figured it out and they were like, okay, we have an entire plan and that's how you have, you know, it's very rare that somebody would just come in with like, you know, and bam, there it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things, uh, 
giving myself up here a little bit. One of the things growing up yeah. I would always do was I, I go to the record shows and I, I love bootlegs. And my one of my favorite things to do was to be was to find the studio recordings of bands working out the album, the, the songs in an album. I love to hear the right. progression of how it started off as maybe a little guitar yeah. piece here and then slowly built and suddenly became, you know, No Quarter by Led Zeppelin. You know, it, it, right. It is like, you know, eight different versions of that. I, I've heard, you know, the an acoustic guitar version. Then I've heard this weird jazz version that they've done. And it just, then an instrumental version with sounds pretty close to the studio version, but almost no lyrics. Robert Plant just going da 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 da, and then the lyrics coming in slowly, and and that's that to me was one of my favorite things growing up was hearing how a song grew and be, went from a, a a demo on just an acoustic guitar to a, this big orchestrated piece. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you totally know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have the talent or the knowledge to do it myself, so uh, I kind of live vicariously through you guys doing it. <laughs> right on well it's it's really i mean i have to say it's i get i don't know like you can the thing is it's the same process for musicals like musicals just go through so many iterations and the the way you test them instead of listening to them on your speakers is to li- to listen to them in front of an audience that's the only way you can really tell oh, okay and so you know you have like versions upon versions and it just it just goes on for years and uh but you know but it gets better and you realize things um and yeah i just iterations that's like sort of the secret to art most art i guess so do do musicals often change a lot from the time they start uh their their first like opening night to the time they close is is there usually a big progression it's not the opening night to the time they close what changes the the by the time opening night happens it's gets it's gotten reviewed right the last week the reviewers come in. Okay. So you have to, freeze, you have to freeze the show by then. Um, there can be different versions of the show in the sense of like, if you're smart, you do an out of town production. Uh, you know, unless okay. you're, I guess Edomar didn't with the band's visit and they did fine, but I mean, whatever, that was <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's cool. They did it. I don't think they were necessarily expecting to go right to Broadway, but the reviews were good enough. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, um, Yes, they changes a lot during previews, um, but the actors are not machines, and so you can't. And also, the composer, like sometimes you don't figure things out until it's it's the end of the previews, and you're like, oh well, at the in the next production, you know, we're gonna rip up the first act and like replace the opening number and da da da. But even during previews, there's definitely like things do get changed and evolve, and then almost always there's a second production where a bunch of stuff gets changed. Um, but what's hard is that like with musicals, like there has to be something fundamentally sound about the concept and the structure. Um, usually those are related. And so if something is unsound about those things, it'll never really work, but you don't know that as the writer, I guess you just, it just doesn't work and then it doesn't work. Um, and you're like, why didn't it work? And maybe years later you're like, Oh, and maybe years later you figure out why it didn't work. Um, okay. and I've had, you know, and also like it's tricky too, because shows are like made for different, sometimes made for different markets. Like band geeks is a great high school musical. I'm sure. I think it could be improved if we had more opportunities to work on it. Like we could probably trim it a bit, but I think it works pretty well for a high school musical. I don't think it would work well 
on a Broadway stage at this point, I think we'd have to make revisions um, okay. to it. Uh, you know what I mean? But we'd have to, and that would, I don't know what that would involve, but, um, <laughs> but so it can, you know, it can work well enough for something, but maybe not well enough for another audience that's okay. say paying a hundred dollars per ticket. Yeah. Yeah. In your history of, of musical theater and yeah. playing live, even with, with your own music, what are some of the, the, the weird things that happen behind the scenes that people don't know about? And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here with this very vague, yeah. broad question, but you always hear stories about that sabotage and uh, in musical theater anyway, understudies trying to, to take out the, the lead roles. And I don't know if that's right. stuff that just happens in movies or uh, if, if that well, actually happens. I mean, I think musical theater, at least, yeah, there's crazy stories in musical theater. I, I've worked with people that are really great. You know, the actors have been really wonderful people and professionals. And I find in musical theater in general, people are very supportive. Um, so that's kind of cool. So I unfortunately I don't have any like, like the sabotaging stories. I don't like, I don't know. I think people in musical theater like I said, generally very supportive, very uh, nice people. Um, There's not. I think there. Are, I also hear all, crazy stories I'll, about I'll like like malfunction, equipment malfunctions, and all kinds of weird stuff happening. Well, but yeah, then again, that could about, be just movies that I'm watching. No, no. In 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 point of fact, there's stuff that's really horrifying for you as the writer, uh, where things go kind of wrong on stage, and you're like, oh my god, and like. Like, here's an example. This isn't that funny, but it's, it was certainly horrifying at the time. Like we were in previews with my, so Edamar and I write, wrote a, a show that was off Broadway six years ago called uh, Nobody Loves You, which is a, it's a satire about reality television, like kind of like a bachelor style show. Oh, cool. It's really fun. Edamar is hilarious. Um, he can be hilarious when he wants to be. And this is like super funny musical. And But so the whole thing is like Calista, it's time at the beginning of a musical, at the beginning of a play too, but especially a musical, it's like people have to feel like they're in good hands. You know what I mean? It's sort of like you're get you're bringing them aboard an airplane and they have to feel like things are going to go well on this flight. You know, the captain's like in a good mood and, and, and everything, there aren't any funny engine sounds on the way up. And, you know, it's like, this is all, this is gravy. And so, uh, but one night during previews, I remember like the sound was screwed. And so like just the opening of the musical, it was like something, maybe there was like a loud noise. And I just kind of knew from then on that the audience was kind of like, what is this? You know, like, <laughs> what has happened here? Oh, you know, man. like, like, you know, not like it wasn't, I think for some people it wasn't even that conscious, but there's just a sort of unease that then develops. And then that's hard to be like, okay, this is a comedy, you know, just yeah. sit back and relax and you can laugh your ass off. So I think that night I was really upset. I was like, what happened with the sound? You know, but it, what, 
it, luckily, okay, first of all, it wasn't like a night where there were any critics. If it had been, that would have really, that might have, you know, been very dangerous. But um, two, I think really in reality, the opening of the musical just didn't work that well. So people were not laughing until the second scene, which was too bad. But that was kind of our fault as the writers. Yeah. And we have since fixed that scene. So, um, <laughs> so that's an example. I don't know. I mean, there's other stuff like... Like these actors in general, the actors in musical theater are so good. And so they just nail their marks. So it's like, I haven't really encountered any issues with them. They're super professionals. Yeah. But that stuff does happen. Absolutely. It just doesn't happen. I haven't seen it happen a lot with my stuff. Well, that's, that's good. That's yeah. Which is good. Yeah. I like to hear that. You know, it's boring, but it's good for me. Yeah, exactly. You want to hear some funny stories once in a while, but you know, when you don't, you know, it's probably better that, that you don't have any. <laughs> right. <laughs> Better or, for you. Not that, I can, not that we're like super traumatic. I, I, I yeah. mean, there's uh, we, you know, we did have a thing with, with the original production of band geeks. We thought that it was going to be really cool. If all of the actors actually played instruments, oh, like wow. that they were supposed to be playing in the band, which is actually really, it makes it really hard because either you have to cast people that are both the right type and play the right instrument or they have to learn an instrument, which yeah. is difficult. And yeah, especially well enough to was, play it on stage. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really hard for people, and I feel kind of bad, especially in retrospect. We kind of learned that you don't need to do that. I mean, like yeah. you can, but <laughs> you don't have to do that. Like people don't care that much if they're playing their instruments. But anyway, um, <laughs> but it all, you know, like you can have a thing play off stage. But yeah, what ended up happening was. It was just hard. I remember it was really scary. And to their credit, like these these actors learned, like Jared Gertner learned to play the sousaphone. Um, Jared Gertner is awesome. He was in the Book of Mormon, also. So yeah, now, how often do you yeah. go out and, and play your own music with your band? Um, every few months. Uh, I guess we did a couple in a row, like two months in a row, because we we had a house. We had a late. 2018 show and then a house concert in February. So, but we haven't. So, a couple of my band members are in a band called Weedus. Have you heard of Weedus? That sounds very familiar. They had a hit in the late 90s called Teenage Dirtbag. Yes, I know that song. Yeah, it's like a world-famous song. And uh, my friend Brandon wrote it, who's the guy who heads Weedus. He's great. Oh, cool. And he, yeah, he tours with Damien sometimes, who's uh, MC Front a lot. So that's how I know him. But anyway, his band members, Joey Slater Mulligan and and uh, Matthew Milligan. Milligan, sorry, Slater Milligan and Matthew Milligan are uh, in the band, they're in Weedus now and they tour with them. So right now I think they're still on tour with them and Mike Doty from soul coughing. Oh yeah. Sort of yeah. like a nineties tour. They're doing Ruby Vroom, the album Ruby Vroom, which was the big soul coughing album. Oh yeah. 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 And yeah. So, and there, and then Weedus has its own set. So they're away for now. And then my drummer was my drummer from theater. Um, J Mac, he was the drummer in nobody loves you. And he was the drummer on falsettos, which was like a, Broadway show recently and 
he is uh he's a great drummer and a great guy so yeah i play out with those guys when i can uh, i'm probably going to start doing some house concerts just because that way i can do it by myself or just with less setup yeah okay i mean it's been yeah it's kind of interesting to try and do this album which i really carefully did arrangements for but i i can't really do the arrangements don't all work live the same way like i've tried some of them and it's like oh you need something else with a band, you know, you need, there's a different expectation. Right. So, so I've been re kind of arranging some of them and I don't know. Yeah. So I'm trying to play out every few months at this point. So there's five songs on the EP. When you guys play out, how, how long is your set? Are you doing all five songs? Are you adding songs to it or playing yeah, yeah. covers? <laughs> I do covers. Yes. Uh, sometimes I do. I think we have, maybe another four or five original songs. I can't remember. Cause I do, I have this, I have two songs which could have been put on this album, but weren't. There's another song about April, but it's more hopeful. There's a, there's a song. It's kind of a folk song. And then there's a song, um, 10 ton, 10 ton weight, okay. which is also sort of the same period of trying to get over my ex-girlfriend. And that's, uh, I like that one. I feel like that one, deserves to be recorded by a band. Um, yeah. So we have like a few, we have a few new ones and then some, I usually do like one or two covers. All right. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So where, Thanks. where can people find you? Uh, how can they follow you? Uh, social media, look for some tour dates or, or the house right. party opportunities and how can they buy the album? <laughs> well, if you happen to be a person who has, um, you know, like does a house party with music, meaning like, I'm sort of thinking of like the folk world where, you know, people are come, come and set up chairs to hear somebody like that kind of house party, not like the house party with kid, kid and play. Kid and play. <laughs> so, so you're not going to come with a big, with a big box top. Yeah. House party two. <laughs> house party, <three. laughs> house party some, the musical. House party the musical. Yeah, that's right. For some reason that hasn't happened, but uh, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, um, you should. So, my Twitter, my Instagram is actually Gabby Alter, G-A-B-Y-A-L-T-E-R, um, not Yes Gabriel. Uh, but you can also YouTube. My channel is is Yes Gabriel Music, and I have a couple of videos up for a couple of the songs on the EP, and there's going to be a new one soon. Um, what else? Uh, you can follow. I mean, on Facebook, I'm Gabby Alter also, okay. and and Twitter, I'm Gabby Alter. So it's all G-A-B-Y-A-L-T-E-R. Uh, if you type in Yes Gabriel Music onto Google, you can find uh, – or YesGabriel.com is my website. And the best way to do it is, you know, like either DM me or something and ask to be on my email list. I don't email very often, maybe once a month, but that way you can get – like my album comes out April 19th. I'll like send a reminder that you can buy it if you wish to give me a little bit of money and, and actually own it. Um, there will hopefully be some other stuff coming out like singles – and whatnot, um, like new singles, okay. uh, and or perhaps merch. There you go. Yes. And so, <laughs> so the best way to find out uh, how to buy the album would be to, to email you, or is there a website that people can go to, or is it going to be on Amazon? Or yeah. Well, it's it's going to be on all the platforms April 19th, but I would say if you want a reminder, just email me or on any of the, you know, you can email me at, at uh Yes, Gabriel music. Uh, yeah, it was it. Yes, Gabriel music at Gmail. 
um, and just say like, Hey, I want to be put on the list for the album. Um, you can actually pre-order it now. I have CDs ready so they can get to you even before it's officially released. And the CDs, by the way, is really beautiful. It's uh, my friend Sierra did the art and it's like a, I think it's called an emulsion painting. Like it looks sort of like textured and the idea was sort of connected to the idea of water, which is in the album uh, in different songs or particularly in one of the songs. So, um, yeah, it's, if you want a little nice object, you can, you can do that. But yeah, I would say email me, um, or you can DM me on Instagram or Facebook. Well, I would definitely recommend getting the album because I'm a, I'm a guy, I need to touch and feel the albums. If you, I, I just have a download. I don't feel like I've actually bought it or own it. And the, exactly. I have seen the artwork and it, it is absolutely beautiful. It's fantastic. Thank you. So, so I know. Sierra's great. Man, thank you so much for coming on and teaching me so much about musical theater. I had, I had no <laughs> knowledge of it before talking with you. And now I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge at least. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. You're, you're a very, uh, you're a great interviewer. I mean, I, I feel oh, like God. I have, I, I'm not really sure what to say, but <laughs> when, when you ask me questions, you have asked, good question so I, then i felt like i had something to say well i appreciate it i appreciate it thank you so much for spending you know a good portion of your evening i've kept you for for a little while so thank yes. you for spending yeah, your time i guess i'll see you around maybe the next time you come into town it was nice just to spend some time with you it's been a while since you came around it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.